0: Alright, why don't you turn to James chapter 2, please? In James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 and the message is entitled Faith is Active. Now, James has dealt with uh, being partial to one person above another while claiming faith in Christ, namely the rich over the poor, simply being a hearer of the word, not a doer, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. The principle is not to be partial in 1 through 4. The practice of being partial is in verse 5 through 7. It's happening. This is not a suspicion. This is not gossip. It's happening. And it's in the church and it's the Christians that we'll see. The person being partial is the lawbreaker. 8 through 10. These are Jewish Christians. The first epistle written. They're Hebrews who became Christians, who were the first Christians, and they're scattered abroad. The church of Jesus Christ. The priority is to be impartial, verse 11 through 13. James will now deal with the absurdity of faith being empty of works by one, claiming faith in Christ in verses 14 to 26. The profession of faith without works is 14 to 20. The objections to faith void of works. And then the profession of faith with works is Is in verse 21 through 26. The objects of faith with works is what's given there. Now, from 14 to 26, the text divides up into three natural sections. 14 to 17, you have faith without works. 18 to 20, faith separate from works. In 21 to 26, faith and works. And if you follow the progression, he just eliminates, eliminates. He takes the progression and he proves them absolutely wrong. Each one is ending with faith without works is dead. Verse 17, 20 and 26. Too often there have been those who have mistakenly taught that James opposes and contradicts Paul. Paul. In teaching of faith apart from works for salvation, while James is teaching faith and works for salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. Martin Luther was such an individual as he called the epistle of James an epistle of straw. Because he was so uh, tainted by the abhorrence of the Catholic Church who taught works for salvation that when he came to Christ, he automatically objected to that and read his Catholic theology into James rather than allowing James to speak for himself. careful reading and comparison of Paul and James reveals the oneness and the um, um, complementary uh, value of one towards the other. Paul is talking about faith uh, in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for justification before Christ Jesus for salvation, resulting in regeneration apart from any personal works um, or meriting uh, works for salvation. James is talking to Christians who have already have trusted Christ Jesus by faith for their justification for salvation, being regenerated, and now as evidence that they're regenerated and trusted Christ, there is works that produce and come forth in their life. So, Paul is talking before salvation, you can't merit by works. James is talking to Christians after they've been saved. If you're saved, works are going to be there. Simple, no contradiction. So, the emphasis of James is is um, works that are the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the cell. Salvation of the believer while Paul is talking about works of the flesh to merit or to earn salvation in any way. Eleven times the word faith appears and twelve times the word works from verse 14 to 26. In fact, a careful examination of the text of James reveals the subject is faith, not works. The subject is faith. Not works at all. James has been dealing with the test of faith um, from chapter one, verse two to two thirteen, and James now deals with the evidence of faith, chapter two fourteen to twenty six. James, according to his uh, method of, of writing, the par- paranetic style, he takes the leading word, the key word, and now he will take up the words faith and work, the two phrases. To build his progressive argument about a living, functioning, and effective faith. And and James is just a straight shooter. He doesn't mince words. He's talking to believers. He's dealing with the real world inside the church and outside the church. And he gives one, two, three, four. And he's just straightforward. Uh, Too many people beat around the bush today in generalities, everything else. By the time they get done, they say nothing. So they're good for nothing. They're just nice little people. They want to offend nobody. They want to not create any uh, provocation or any argument. And so James has engaged in a diatribe here like a prosecuting attorney charging them with their sin of partiality and then progress his argument by asking critical rhetorical questions, as we'll see, to reveal their contradiction of their faith. Um, He's done it. Here in 1 through 13. And now, um, he will continue the same kind of diatribe as a skilled prosecutor progressing the argument with more critical rhetorical questions that reveal faith uh, of such that they're practicing as being unscriptural. So, here in verses 14 through 17, James refutes the idea that faith without works is biblical. And it's characterized by three things. Let me read 14 to 17. He says, "What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily, life, daily food? And one of you say to them, "Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What profit? Uh, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so here are the three things that the idea of faith without works is biblical. First, the proposition about faith in verse 14. Second, then you have the illustration about faith in verse 15 and 16. And then third, the conclusion about faith in verse 17. The proposition, the illustration, and the conclusion. The proposition about faith comes first. He says it straight out. Listen to him. James confronts a false belief and teaching about faith in the church. This is literally happening in the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? This is not make-believe. What does it profit my brother? The question posed the confrontation of a false belief. The word prophet means advantage or benefit. Very clear. It's found three times in the New Testament. The words repeated again in verse 16. The last is found where Paul uses it with the question. What advantage was it to him if the dead did not rise from the dead? In 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-two. The benefit or advantage James is referring to is spiritual. To the one professing such a thing. Because we are spiritually alive now. We deal in a practical world, physical, but we make decisions based on the spiritual reality and the spiritual truth. The testing of our faith produces patience, he said in chapter 1, verse 3. The believer is to allow patience to have its perfect work that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, chapter 1, verse 4. We're to ask God in faith without doubting in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, and we're to live out our faith being doers of the Word of God, not just hearers deceiving ourselves in chapter 1, verse 22. So though we live in this real world, we're pilgrims and sojourners, we make our decisions and we live our life on the level of spirituality. Which the word of God addresses continually. We're not to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory with partiality. Chapter 2 verse 1 says. This is the fallen nature. It's there in every one of our hearts. No one can get away from it. But as Christians we can check it. And not yield to it. But it's ever present. Notice the one being addressed again is a believer. The word brethren, Adolphus, means one who's of the same family, born in the same womb. Um, It's it's talking about a person who's been regenerated. So that's who James is talking to. So he's not being theoretical. He's not dealing with non-believers. He's addressing the the sins of the believers in the church regarding this particular stuff. The word is used by James for those being born again in the family. They've been brought forth by the miraculous word of God that abides forever. And the word um, is used for being first fruits of His creation in chapter 1, verse 18. And um, it's the saving of our soul, as chapter 1, and verse 21, is speaking about. The body will return to the ground, it will be glorified, but you are primarily a spirit being, and so am I. And the minute you die, what leaves is the spirit. Your carcass still remains. It goes down to the ground until it's glorified. Now notice James articulated the false belief and teaching about faith in the church. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, the statement is a conditional one. The word if means if in fact this were the case. Sometimes it is presented as a hypothetical case for the argument. Other times, it is the very situation for the argument. The context and flow of the text that we are studying would indicate that this is, in fact, the actual words of those in the church, what they were teaching. And it is amazing how many things are said and repeated like parrots in the church that is absolutely unbiblical and false statements regarding the truth of God's word. And people sit around. When, I, when I'm driving and I hear radio programs and I hear pastors teaching their adults like little kids, repeat after me, turn around and repeat to one another. What, are we kids or what? What's this, communism or what? Are we drunk parrots learning a new language or what? That's how you teach a parrot how to speak in Mexico. You get them drunk, put a drape over them and repeat all those dirty words and the next morning you got a dirty mouth parrot. <laughs> it's an insult. You can think. You have a brain like I do. You have the Bible. I don't treat you like little kids. The phrase someone says... Literally anyone. So that's an actual phrase. He's covering all who are using it. The singular is used. But without doubt, this problem was much extensive in the church than one person. The tense is the present act that literally keeps on saying and keeps on having no works. It's amazing how when something bad gets in, if it's not checked, it just permeates a church. It's just like if your body refuses and can't deal with the infection, your antibodies break down and, it, and the bad ones take over and you become debilitated. It's the same kind of thing. The words of such a person profess the belief that faith can exist without words in their Christian life. Look at verse 14 there. The word for faith, as you know, simply means a conviction of truth about anything related to To God and the divine things. This is the context. It appears 16 times in James. Twice in chapter 1. Three times in chapter 2. And once in chapter 5. The profession is a false claim. The question is rhetorical. One notice. What does it profit my brother. If someone says he has faith. But does not have works. The question has only one obvious answer. It is negative. No profit at all. Words are cheap. People talk. They say things. And by the time they get done, they've said nothing. They know how to put a spin on things. They're empty. They have no content. These questions are necessary and very revealing. The second rhetorical question follows immediately to confirm the falsehood of such belief Or teaching. Notice it says, Can faith save him? Again, the word for faith is the same as before about conviction of truth, anything related to God and divine things. But this time in the Greek, it has the article accompanying the word. That indicates that the faith is a particular kind of expressed faith. The kind of faith that has no words can it save that person so because the greek article there is dealing with the false faith not biblical faith the obvious and only answer is no the reason being that it is not biblical or christian faith as taught by the bible and there's a lot of things that people say and repeat in churches that is not related to the bible in its context it's not biblical Faith without works is like a lock without a key, a gun without bullets, a car without gas. Try them; (laughs) they're worthless. John the Baptist um, didn't believe in faith without works. Listen to him uh, uh, in Matthew five, but Matthew three five through nine says then. Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the regions around about Jordan went out to him. And they were baptizing, uh, being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. So there's a lot of people say a lot of things. There's a lot of people that are very nice, very mellow, very kind. They just seem the nicest people in the world, but they don't stand for anything. If you don't stand for anything, then you'll, you'll, be, you'll fall for everything. It's simple. Jesus did not believe in faith without works. Listen to him in Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wills. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree that bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. If you tell me you have an apple tree in your backyard, then I know it never gives cherries. Now, it may have a bad season one year and nothing, no fruit comes forward, but the next year or the following year, it will bring forth fruit unless it dies. Simple. Paul did not believe in faith without works. Listen to him in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that you and I are born again, there's a big difference in our life. You're far different. You respond differently. You make choices differently. You look at the world differently. Because Christ is in you. The hope of glory. And so, the proposition about faith without works revealed it is an unsaving faith. So a church can be right on and and heresy move in and it just starts being transitioned slowly but surely. And before you know it, nothing has has changed in terms of the life uh, going forward. But the content and the trueness of what is being taught and believed is totally and completely different. Though you're still using the same phrases. It happens all the time. The neo-Orthodox who took over Fuller Seminary did that. Using the same biblical words, but they mean totally different things. Now it's the emergent church is redefining biblical words. The Christian and the church. They have a neo-Orthodox root, though they don't know it. (laughs) Same thing. Notice secondly comes the illustration about faith. Verse 15 and 16. James presented a practical case scenario in the everyday life of the church. Listen to me. James lives in a real world. Okay. James is not going to be declaring the state of the union here. Painting a birthday party when the world is burning. James lives in a real world. Inside the church and outside the church. And you as Christians are to live with your eyes wide open. Being able to see the contradiction and the deceptions of man because of power, politics, or whatever it may be. So you can shoot straight right down the middle and live in reality. Listen to his words. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. So the first thing he declares about the person was their need of clothing. Very basic, very simple. The individual could be a brother or sister in the Lord. The need of the woman is considered equal to the man. There is no distinction at all. We're talking about those who are in need regardless of their gender. The acknowledgement here, they acknowledge the need... Um is noted noted without partiality and favoritism, an individual is in need of clothes to cover his or her nakedness poor wealthy now he 's going to focus on the poor because most of people who are wealthy have more than one pair of shoes and clothes and everything else. And the word naked there can mean literally naked. But it doesn't in this case in the text. He's not talking about naked people running around the church. He's talking figuratively about um, about not having the needed garments. Uh, you can have clothes as you are in need that are torn and dirty, and you don't have the the, the luxurious clothes that that others may have, and so you're destitute. Um, the word can mean one's body clothes to bear the bare essentials sometimes you see somebody in the street and you see that they're you know they're not as clean and they you know they've been wearing those clothes for a long time then you understand that they're they're, they're street bound you know they don't have a home and stuff like that it's very very evident and this is the contrast that James has put the rich and the poor two extremes the word is used by Jesus for the um, uh, nations who Cared for Jesus uh, or for the Jews during the tribulation period in Matthew twenty five thirty six. 36. Um, uh, he gave me a glass to drink and he visited me in prison. That context. Now, the second thing, notice, he declared about the person was their need of nourishment. Again, these are very basic things. Essentials, clothes and food. Um, this person is destitute of daily food, being poor. Um, certainly, he's not rich. And the word destitute simply means lacking by by what is wanting. Uh, Again, the bare essentials. Um, The word has been used by James two other times already for lacking nothing and lacking wisdom in James chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. This daily food indicates what he or she has need of for that day. Their daily provision to live on. As you know, in those days... When someone hired you, they were to pay you that at the end of that day at sundown. They weren't to withhold your wages because that's how people live. And if you held it over, then they wouldn't eat and they couldn't come back to work tomorrow. Okay? So it would be daily. This does not have um, anything to do with the world that we live in, that we get a weekly check or a weekly check, whatever it is. It's a whole different thing. He wouldn't have the, the substance, daily substance for a good breakfast, lunch, a dinner. Uh, he, he had nothing. He just lived from day to day. And, uh, and there are people sometimes in our society, especially today in America, that live like this. Now, there's a lot of hand-me-outs that are going out, okay? Uh, we'll deal with some of the things that are in contrast. But um, it, it, that hurts our society more than helps our society in many ways. Now look at 16. James presented the practice of false proposition of faith without works in the church. He puts forth the response towards the poor individual. And one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled. One of them in the church tells the poor person, depart in peace. The word depart simply means to withdraw, literally go away. Wow. The word is used by Jesus for Satan in the temptation and for Peter for yielding to Satan wanting to stop him from going to the cross in Matthew 4:10 and Matthew 16:23. The word peace as you know means a tranquility of the person or a tranquil state of well-being. This is the last thing this person has. Due to their need. Go away. In peace. Well that's totally devoid from reality here. This is nothing more than a religious blessing of words. Without mercy insulting the person. In view of their need. Now we're going to deal with some practical issues. Because this is one of the most difficult things of life. On who to help. How much to help. Should I help or not. One of them in the church tells the poor person, listen what he follows up with, be warmed and filled. The word warm simply means, literally, to warm yourself. Guy's cold. And the guy says, hey, warm yourself. Really? Wow. See, we don't get that in the English. The present middle voice indicates an imperative command, by the way, To do this themselves. It's a command. It's not even a suggestion. It is used for Peter warming himself at the enemy's fire in Mark as well as in John. After the insulting blessing comes the imperative command to warm himself. Wow. And the word fill simply means to be satisfied. Once again, The tense is the imperative command. It's a command to the individual. The tense is present passive. And some Greek scholars interpret both the passive, indicating let someone else warm and feed you. Whoa. Not only a command, but actually go away. Take your need somewhere else. This is nothing more than self righteous, hypocritical arrogance without mercy, adding insult to injury to the one in need. Notice to put forth his rebuke towards their lack of compassion is what comes next. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? So, James addresses such a person for saying such things, a reality that's going on in the church. The word but marks the sharp contrast, as it always does, between words and actions. They spoke empty spiritual words. They spoke insulting, carnal words. And their failure and guilt was in not providing for them their basic needs of the body. Clothing to warm the body. Food to sustain and nourish the body. And then notice a self-examining question is rhetorical at the end. What does it profit? What advantage? What benefit have you brought forth? The obvious and only answer possible is nothing. There is no benefit to prove genuine faith since the essential things needed for life were not given they had failed to carry out the royal law to love our neighbors ourselves as in verse 8 their words were like someone commanding a drowning man to rescue himself onto the shore Here you're standing at a dock and a guy is drowning. You say, hey, just swim over the dock. Exact same thing that they're saying. You see, we don't get that in the English. That's what's being stated. There's probably nothing more difficult in ministry or in my own personal life than this one thing. The wisdom to help those in need. Let's be clear about some things. First of all, let's make sure we understand that no one person or ministry can meet the needs of everyone. I cannot meet all, every need that comes to me, nor can a ministry do that. Secondly, that no one person or ministry should meet the needs of people every time there are people who just are entitled our whole society of America has been entitled more than ever before through the last six and a half years of the Obama administration it's hurt America so much so that now it's a demand if you're a parent You should teach your son and daughter how to work hard. To earn their way through life. And when you have a hard working son or daughter. You are more than happy to bless them with money or whatever. Even though they don't need it because they have worked so hard. And they're people that understand hard work. But if you just give your son or daughter everything. Everything. The older you get and the older they get, the more demanding they'll be on you. The more they will believe that you owe it to them. Really? Wow. Because you help somebody one time doesn't mean you should help them every time. You could be hurting them. Not helping them. Thirdly, that helping some people is being really an obstacle to God. Who is trying to teach them certain lessons and bring them to the end of themselves. But you think you're the Messiah. I think I'm the Messiah, so I've got good, so I just say, oh, don't worry about it. Here. I got to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Should I help this person or not? I've helped them one time. Do I help them again? Are you trying to deal with them? Just earlier this week, I came in and there was a lady that wanted to talk to me. So after we got done, I sat down and talked with her. And we're sitting there and she's going on telling me about her situation and everything else. And as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, the Lord says, you helped her in the same thing earlier in the year. And I remembered it exactly right on the spot. And I let her finish and I pointed out to her and she goes, oh oh, yeah this whole entitlementality is all over our nation today it's in our homes it's being taught us indoctrination in our educational systems it's being legislated by the airhead politicians and it's disintegrating society We should not be taken in by this. Get a free cell phone and all the minutes you want. Give you a card. You can keep recharging it. Just government.gov. Free college now. Free... Who's paying for this? Nothing's free. By the way, you can keep your doctor if you like them. Wow. And these people that come in, they look at you straight face and they're lying. Just like our president. Bold face. And many other politicians. And Republicans too. They're, they're not, they don't smell any better. Okay? So the fourth thing is that people are very dishonest. They lie. Non-believers certainly lie. But Christians lie. Oh, you call yourself a pastor? Yep. I talk to liars every day that are Christians. You can still lie. You know you have lied since you become a Christian at times. <laughs> I've lied. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and we have to acknowledge it. We have to turn from that. Fifth, James takes the most basic needs for life. Clothing and food. Not their Greed. Too often, people demand particular things. People come in here, we try to help with food and clothing, and when there's shelters, we can get them connected in that. But then we bring in some food and say, oh, is that all you have? Apparently, you're not hungry enough. It is amazing. It's almost insulting. But you realize that it's not against you, it's against Christ. But it doesn't mean you don't confront them. It doesn't mean you don't correct them. You give them the gospel. Cause that's the only thing that's gonna turn them around. I'm not doing, I'm not minimizing food or the clothing, but if I give you that and that's all I give you, you'll need some more food tomorrow. But if I give you the gospel and you get your life turned around, you'll be working tomorrow or the next week. Guaranteed. Because you'll understand no one owes you anything. As a minister, we attempt to meet these needs, but it's always difficult because so many people give you a sad story, lies. And everybody that comes in, first thing we say, hi, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Where do you go to church? Oh, I really don't. I just... Well, if you don't go to church, why do you come to church for help? You didn't come in there asking me for a Bible. You want money. That's what you want. We don't give money out here. If we gave money, we'd have a line all the way down to L.A. The Scriptures are clear that we are to be kind, merciful, and full of compassion towards those in need as God um, presents the opportunity. If God shows you a person or brings a person or shows you something, you meet the need. Don't call us up. That's what people usually do. Hey, I've got this guy down the street, and you guys all, well, how'd you hear this guy? Well, he came over to my house. Well, why are you pawning a mass on us? Apparently, God wants you to meet the need or minister to Him. Take care of it. Oh, it might cost you. Oh, okay. Welcome to the club. <laughs> It is proper for women professing godliness with good works, for Timothy 2.10. A widow is to be, listen to the requirements to receive help from the church. A widow is to be well reported of good works if she has brought up children, if she has lost strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. If not, she wouldn't be helped. Wow. When's the last time you heard that from the pulpit? There's requirements for help. They're in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. First Timothy five twenty six. And you can go through those scriptures over and over again. Good works, good works, good works. In Romans and James, everywhere. That's what we're to be known for. The illustration about faith without works reveals it is. Um, a worthless faith. Worthless faith. Now you're a believer. Your life should be so much different. If you were kind and benevolent before. You're much more now. It's, it's common sense. Notice thirdly Comes a conclusion about faith in verse 17. James. Indicated the obvious. Regarding their false profession of faith. Thus also faith. By itself. Again, he's talking to Christians. He makes the connection of the illustration for the application. The profession of faith that believes it can be by itself without works profits nothing. It profits no one. It just sounds nice. The word faith, again, has the article indicating the particular defect of faith. In contrast to the biblical faith. He comes to the logical conclusion of his argument. For one to say they have faith without works is completely foreign to saving faith. For one to say they have faith without works is completely useless to any and every person. For one to live out such a faith is possible but not pleasing to God. People do it all the time. It's like these Hollywood stars. Fallen stars. That they object to guns. The latest is this. I don't, even, I don't know actors. Only the old guys. Uh, that does uh, Taken. He makes all these movies of guns and killing everybody. And he's against it? How hypocritical can you be? You have a bodyguard. He has a gun. You're a hypocrite. Absolutely hypocrite. Amazing. Well, let's move on. James identifies the kind of faith the people were professing and practicing. Listen, if it does not have works, it is dead. The condition is very clearly stated. If it does not have works, the works are sourced in faith. Faith tested produces patience. If true faith is working, then there's a result in it. Chapter 1 3 The works are the blessings of faith. The perfect law of liberty. Being doers of the word. In chapter 1 verse 25. The works are the evidence of faith. Faith loves his neighbor. The royal law. In chapter 2 verse 8. Notice he comes to the declarative conclusion of his argument. Is dead. It's stated three times. Faith without works has no manifestation of works, no manifesting evidence of life. Instead, Faith without works appears more like a corpse, it just lays there. Faith without works, without and withholding life to others, is useless. Faith that does not bridle one's tongue James told us but doesn't visit the orphans or the widows and their troubles or keeps themselves unspotted from the world their faith is dead chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 so we can profess and there's a lot of this going on in the church today with the emergent church that Christians can cuss and Christians can drink and Christians can do all this like the world really No, you're the world. You may say it, but it's not biblical. So there's a lot of junk going on in the church today using biblical, scriptural words, but they're putting a twist on them. One day a man was pushing a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Got to the other side, made it one way. When he got there, he looked down and he told the guy, do you believe I can do it again? The guy goes, yeah. He says, get in the wheelbarrow. Everybody says, yeah, I believe you can do it. You have to get in the wheelbarrow. That way you know you're living real biblical faith. You can't just talk about it. It's not changing your mind. It's not changing your heart. It's not causing you to, to repent daily on when you, where you blow it. If, you, if, if you're not seeing your righteousness, if you're not looking to the Lord, if you're not seeing the world as it is, if you're not having hope in Christ, if you're not seeing just the poverty of man and you're not seeing the deceptions, then something is wrong. The religions of the world glory in their works as evidence of the fact that they know God. Gandhi. Buddha. Confucius. Obama. Really. I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, if Obama's a Christian, I'm black. (laughs) Simple. Simple. Real simple. Listen to um, Colossians 2, 18-23. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by fleshly minds and not holding fast to the head. For whom all the body nourished and knit together by joint and ligament grows with the increase. That is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principle of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which, which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of man. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you do good works and you say the right things and you join the right clubs and all the same. But but you're not born again and Jesus is not the one working behind it. It means absolutely zero. Absolutely zero. The heroes of scripture are men and women of faith. Just like the heroes of our nation are the soldiers. The snipers. The politicians are the zeros. (laughs) Real simple. Everything you possess, you owe to a military person as they protect you. Everything that's taken from you is from a politician. <laughs> Real simple. Real simple. The Christian glories in the fact that he knows God by the evidence of transformation. He thinks differently after Christ. Talks differently. Lives differently. Responds differently. He's a new creature, Second Corinthians five seventeen. All things pass away, everything becomes new. That's the scripture I picked for my father. Raul Christian Reese. I put on his tombstone because he got in such a bad shaft for my brother. My brother needs to make a movie of himself. I don't think he like it that much. A new creature. Aren't you glad that God wiped out every sin in your life and buried in the deepest ocean? None of us deserve heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Or a bunch of sewer rats. The best of us. And if you don't see yourself like that, I feel sorry for you. Only the grace of God can make us what we are, man. Only He can open our eyes. Only He can cleanse our heart. Only He can captivate my mind to His truth. The early church and the history of Christians is that they were very benevolent, compassionate to those less fortunate, as God commanded. But it should come from our heart. Leviticus ten nineteen ten says you shall clean you shall not glean your vineyards or uh, nor gather your every grape of the vineyard, leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So, in other words, here's the field that's in the corner here, I leave it gone, I don't pick it. I leave it for the stranger, the widow come, so they work, they pick their own food, and they have a sense of dignity, self respect, okay? And they, they get to eat. God provides for that. Entitlements, give you a card, give you a cell phone, give you all this stuff. That's no good for you. Some people need some help and the government should be there for some help. It's always been there. But now it's overboard. Now it's an abuse. It's to disintegrate society. It's wealth distribution. Listen, one of your one of your neighbors down the street, they get in a jam. You've been known them for 5, 20 years, whatever it is, 25 years. You know, God may lead you to go help them for a month or so. But for an association or the whole block get together and demand that you help all of them, that's wealth distribution. That's not even, forget the biblical aspect of it, it's not even fair. It's not even just. You help from what you have when you can. But no one demands from you. Especially when it's unjust. You work hard then you should be benevolent. But that someone would demand of you because you work hard, get out of my face. Are you kidding me? Yes, I am a Christian. (laughs) A biblical Christian. I see some of your brain smoking. Christians, are to be living for Jesus, not themselves. Joy, Jesus, others, and you, last. Whenever I get myself up front, I get myself in trouble. I get myself up front, I'm the first one to trip me. (laughs) I'm an obstacle. Obstacle for God, obstacle for anybody else. I got to get in the back of the bus. I got to get down to wash feet. It's not a popular message from the pulpit today. But it, was a, it was a message of Jesus. God came down to wash feet. Wow. Not very profound. But very biblical. You must die to self willingly. Reckoning the old man as in Romans 6, 12 all the way to chapter 8 at the end. That's the section, reckoning the old man, losing sight of yourself, denying yourself daily. To be willing daily to acknowledge our failures our faults, And so we come to Christ. We live in an attitude of repentance. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I write these things that you do not practice sin, but when you fall and stumble, you have Jesus Christ the righteous to make intercession for you. I, your pastor, live a constant life of repentance, just like you. And I stay on track. Just like that ship that takes off from the east to go across to Europe, that captain sets the course as it sets out. But there are so many currents in that stinking ocean that he has to reset the course to make sure he arrives. If you think you can set your course and put it on Christian cruise control, listen to me. You will never arrive. You can talk all you want. You will never arrive. There's typhoons. There's storms. There's everything. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things from above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God set your mind on things above and not things of the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God Colossians 3 1 through 3 the Lord is sufficient for you and I my little children let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth 1 John three eighteen. put on the mind of Christ if not You'll put on the mind of indoctrination, of politically correctness, of what's advantageous to you. You'll lean to your nationality. You'll lean to your culture. You'll lean to your race. You'll lean to whatever it is. And it'll corrupt you. We are one in Christ Jesus. Absolutely one. One. And we all have the same Bible. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same mind. Therefore we should all be agreeing on the things of God. Don't taint God's word. With the world's wisdom. It will make you a fool. The conclusion about faith without works reveals. It is dead faith. He's talking to Christians. And so. James refuted the idea that faith without works is biblical. Characterized by the proposition about faith without works, that it revealed that it is an unsaving faith. The illustration about faith without works reveals it is a worthless faith. And the conclusion about faith without works reveals that it is a dead faith. Unsaving faith worthless faith and dead faith you want to live under that type of faith you'll be good for nothing (laughs) it's the trinity of darkness living in you me myself and I wow Lord help us to look to you thank you for your, your grace over us as a church through the years The number of people you have just transformed and changed. And Lord, we are so grateful to you. Lord, you are so good. Keep us looking to you. Keep us studying your word. Examining everything, Lord. That we would not be thin-skinned Christians. That we would have no loyalty to anybody but you. That we would not be so worldly that we would um, get offended by your truth of the word as you're praying if you're here if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior God has brought you here to be saved to repent of your sins if you believe that he's God who became man died for your sins the wrath of God was poured upon him as a payment and he rose from the dead then you can be saved By calling upon Him right now. It's called a prayer of repentance. Maybe you're over the internet, right where you sit. You can accept Him right where you're at. And if you mean it, He will save you right now. This is your prayer to Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.